Welcome to the Pendulum Insight Podcast. This is a show for deal makers in the blockchain business, where we meet the players who are changing the game today and get their insight into everything from the red tape to the raise. This is your host, Colton Moffitt. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Today, we're joined by Richard Carthon. He's the host of CryptoCurrent and this uh, podcast. And he's also hosting the upcurrent, upcoming CryptoCurrent conference in New Orleans. And that's going to be Friday, March 15th, so just a week away. And if you're listening to this after the fact, then we're going to do a follow-up as well. So, uh, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself, uh, CryptoCurrent as a podcast, and also what inspired you to go forward and set up a conference? Absolutely. So, Colton, thanks for uh, having me on your show, man. Excited to, to join you today. So, um, as Colton said, my name is Richard Carthon. Uh, I'm the founder of the Cryptocurrent Podcast. I uh, started a year ago. Um, I got really heavy into cryptocurrency and, and learning more about blockchain early in 2018. Um, the first day I was, I was walking in at um, a job at this artificial intelligence company and my job and my uh, boss comes up to me and says, hey, what do you know about uh, cryptocurrency? And I said, not a whole lot. And he said, well, you should look into it. And so I did. And um, I went down the rabbit hole, learned a whole lot about, you know, the new emerging technology. Of course, early 2018, uh, everything was great and glorious. Everything's going up. And then you start seeing it tick down. Um, but regardless, as I look deeper and deeper into, you know, what cryptocurrency is and, and blockchain technology that it's built upon and all the use cases of blockchain, and everything else was like, you know, there's something here. There is a lot of substance um, there. There's a future here, right? I, I don't think this is just going to be another like bust of new technology that is emerging. It's either going to absolutely go into nothing or it's going to be the next biggest thing. And so the only way that you get to a point to where you can come to your own educated decision on what direction you think it's going to go it's about educating yourself. So I begin to, as I talk to more and more people about, you know, cryptocurrency, blockchain, first of all, it, it, early, you know, last year, I met a lot of people who had no idea what it was. Uh, couldn't, didn't want to hear anything about it because no one could explain it to them very simply. And, and, and not only could they not break it down simply, uh, break it down to where they would want to go and learn more information and absorb more um, mm -hmm. content for themselves. So I created CryptoCurrent, um, a podcast, a blog. There's a newsletter that goes out um, every day, uh, Monday through Sunday, which is up updated news on you know, what's going on in the industry. And I, I started this to educate people and to bridge the gap between people who know little to nothing about cryptocurrency and blockchain to people that are thought leaders and, and, and have a vast amount of knowledge. And I really want to help bridge that gap for people. Gotcha. Okay, and that's that's interesting. I, so you worked at this um, AI company, or you were working on AI at this company. So, right. what is your background? Tell us about your background and and what led you to be there and to be the kind of person that can explain cryptocurrency in simple terms. Because that's that's no small feat. Yes. So, um, to give you a little background on myself, um, when I was in college, um, I was a dual sport athlete. I played football and baseball at Tulane University. And got a business degree, um, specialized in um, business management and 
uh, legal studies, got into Tulane Law School, decided uh, to not go to Tulane Law School because uh, my senior year, I had my own startup. Uh, I created uh, a, a platform called Follow My Cal, which was a calendar platform uh, that seamlessly put your personal, professional, and social events in your life into one central location. Um, I was able to uh, get some funding for it. And I was like, you know what, Look, I'm gonna go for this right now. I can always go back to law school. Mm-hmm. So as I uh, began working on the project, um, I got a job with Merrill Lynch doing wealth management. And I was doing that for a couple months while I built the product. And then once I had done my soft launch, you know, I was like, wow, there's some, there's some traction here. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Why not? I'm, I'm young. Um, I can go get it. At the time I was um, 23. I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go for this. Let's, let's get it. Yeah. So uh, I start, you know, things start going forward. Uh, I was able to raise more money. I was able to hire my first employee. Um, you know, things were good. I was, I got a lot, you know, quite a few downloads, had some great use cases and I hit this very, uh, crucible moment where I realized I was going to run out of runway out of money. And so, um, I was like, okay, how can I try to give myself some more runway? So what I decided to do was take myself and my employee, um, you know, unfortunately I had to let them go. Also I had to like go get another job so I could, you know, have enough money to at least give it a chance. And while that happened, I got this sales job with an artificial intelligence company. And this is now early 2000, um, in the 2017 going to, uh, 2018. Mm. So now, uh, while I'm at this job and, and I'm learning about AI and, and everything that's with it and, and learning more about cryptocurrency and blockchain, um, I got into this new unique position to where I started like telling more and more people about, Hey, you know, you should look into cryptocurrency and, and blockchain. And so um, what ended up happening with that, I uh, had an old uh, person that I knew and he reached out to me and he was like, hey, I'm actually starting this fund. Do you want to come work with me? So then I ended up uh, working with him and his uh, crypto fund and, and, and learning more about, you know, you know, raising money and, and like seeing how the market works and trading. And mm-hmm. it, it was a really cool experience. Yeah. Sounds like it. Um, so where does, uh, where does Ben come into this? Cause if they're, you know, if you guys are listening right now, you're familiar with uh, Ben left, he's been you know, involved with helping organize blockchain partnerships groups. And we, we just hit it off as soon as we talked. I mean, we were in um, like a private Slack channel together in a Slack community and kind of met that way. Finally ended up interviewing him on the podcast and had a really, really excellent conversation. And so he's who connected us. And I'm just curious, where, where does he fit into this whole picture? How'd you guys meet? Yeah, so interestingly enough, Ben reached out uh, to me about the conference. So uh, mm-hmm. Ben came into the picture a couple months ago um, where I got an email um, from the conference website saying like, hey, I'm very excited about, you know, you putting on a conference in New Orleans. Um, I would love to uh, be a part of this. Uh, can we meet? And so, uh, mm-hmm. the next day got on the phone with him. Like, I mean, you know how passionate of a guy he is. He's awesome. Uh, yeah. he does due diligence, like reaching out, finding opportunities and then like making stuff happen. And yeah. so that's how that kind of all came into place. Awesome. So yeah, he was really excited about the fact that there's going to be this conference in New Orleans and he's like, look, man, it's, you know, it's my hometown and this is a big deal for <laughs> the fact that it's happening. So I, I mean, I've been all over the United States. I've lived all over the place. And I don't think I've ever actually been to New Orleans. 
So to me, that's kind of like this, um, you know, silly concept we see in movies or whatever. So tell me what it's like, like the tech scene in New Orleans and what, uh, what you're expecting as you have this conference coming up and, you know, how, how do you feel about just um, the, the current reception of cryptocurrency and, and blockchain tech there? Definitely. So um, to be honest with you, man, the, the tech scene is picking up here in New Orleans, especially over the last couple of years. There's a couple of accelerators that are here. Uh, you got the Idea Village and Propeller. I went through both of those for my previous venture, uh, Follow My Cow. Um, mm -hmm. You have some co-working spaces, um, like one's called Launchpad, um, one called the CAC, which is Contemporary Arts Center, um, the Warehouse, uh, a, a ton. And so like the, the whole entrepreneurial landscape here is really picking up. And then as far as like big tech sectors, you have DXC, which is a huge technology company that just came into town. They're bringing mm -hmm. in a ton of jobs. Um, the two big startup companies here that we have is Lucid, uh, who just raised a ton of millions of dollars at an extremely high valuation, which was awesome. And then a company called Zlean, um, who also is big in the, the tech space here. Um, so as far as going into the crypto space, I would say the, the, the scene isn't that huge here. But the, the reason why I wanted to start this here in the first place was I went to the Collision Conference here a year ago. And... Mm -hmm. Um, that was like last May and they had a day that was like in a section that was dedicated to like cryptocurrency and blockchain. And it was awesome, man. Just to see the amount of people, the excitement, everyone that would then go out and then like network and enjoy and just enjoy the city vibes in New Orleans, the, the culture of it yeah. um, while still getting a lot of good content and value from the information that was being given. And so uh, collision is now gone. They're going to be in Toronto this year. Mm. And so it left, it left the void. And I was like, okay, um, how can we keep that momentum going? Someone has to do it. So knowing myself, like being here for the last three years, like for things to happen in New Orleans, someone just has to be bold enough to do it and then show that it can work. And then year over year, it'll grow. Mm. Um, and so I just took the approach of, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm just going to find a way to make it happen. And I'm going to find people who want to like see uh, this vision come alive because I do believe this can be a conference that becomes really huge because there is a pool of New Orleans. People love to come to New Orleans. It's one of the most largely visited cities in the world, not just the country, but the world. Really? And yeah. And there's, a, I mean, tourism is massive here. And right. I mean, people come here, have a great time. And New Orleans is uh, being seen as one of the fastest growing uh, tech hubs in the U.S. Um, in, in a couple of different reports that came out um, late last year. So yeah. there are opportunities, um, but the, the challenge of it is because it's up and coming, you have to have people that are bold enough to like lead the charge and just like people, people will follow. Someone just has to like do it. Um, no one really wants to be the, the mover. You'll have a lot of people from out of state um, that will come and pour in a lot of money and make this thing happen and leave. Uh, but you won't have a lot of locals that will like just dedicate and try to ground up create something like this and so that was my whole idea behind this of i, I believe i over the like as this thing progresses in in each year we'll start getting more and more pull from outside of just new orleans but year one will probably be a lot more locals uh but that's why the biggest pull um pull for this conference is the education piece uh we're really trying to educate people we're not trying to sell any products we're not trying to like have icos and people that are coming like trying to sell what they have. We're trying to educate people and show them why this is an opportunity and why people need to be paying attention. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. I take a look at the 
the speakers that you've lined up and you know, a lot of them are also you know, people who are coming from backgrounds where they're educating people um, and or, or they're doing something that's kind of practical. So that's really cool. And you don't see a lot in the way of what we've seen with some other conferences where it was very promotion heavy in the early part of last year. So right. what I wanted to actually chat with you about is what we think. Um, well, okay. you, you have a meetup group, right? You've already been kind of building this community locally and that's, that's a necessary part of it. And that's cool. And what you mentioned about how new Orleans becoming a, a tech hub in the United States and with the current news, just stuff happening so quickly in a bad way in Seattle and San Francisco from some of the socioeconomic issues they're dealing with, the rent prices, the companies that are just leaving or not even bothering to go there anymore. And then when you take blockchain tech, um, these startups are all over the world. It's really not compressed to one city. Like you're not getting a Silicon Valley central um, development the way that you did with say like web 2.0 apps and all that. So what I was curious about is what you think is kind of like the unique flavor culturally that New Orleans brings to the table. You had some interesting stuff in your copy on the conference page. And um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Like why New Orleans is becoming this tech hub and why people are enjoying it so much apart from, you know, the kind of Mardi Gras stereotype, which I guess is probably something you get sick of hearing about, but why is it becoming like the next Austin maybe? Yeah. So first of all, the cost of living here is awesome. Like comparatively speaking to a San Francisco, to a Seattle, to an LA, like um, even in Austin, where Austin is, the cost of living is going up tremendously. Um, you can live affordably here very easily. Um, so that's a big pull. The next is the, the cultural side, right? So there's no place in the world like New Orleans. Uh, the people down here are very genuine. They're nice. Um, you can go to a gas station and have a conversation with the cashier for an hour and um yeah. it's not weird um people just it's it's a warm place and and you know the food here is amazing uh, there's always something to do there's either uh, like you could go out every single day here and find something to do and like that's not even like being funny like you legitimately could go out every single day here and and have a great time um, and, and you do all that without spending money. That's another big thing. You can go have a ton of fun without spending a lot of money. Which yeah. is huge. And, and of course you have so many bars. We have the open, open container law here. So yes, you can be drinking beer, um, at a bar, walk outside, not an issue. You can go to a gas station, get a drink, walk home with it, drink the whole way, not an issue. Mm. Um, that, and then from, even from a, a huge tech hubs side, like there's tax incentives. So like, of course, Louisiana wants to bring in more opportunities, especially New Orleans. So these huge companies that come in, they're finding opportunities to make it worth their time. Mm. Gotcha. That's, that's cool because to have a conference there and as you continue to have these conferences there, as you said, will be more people coming from out of town and maybe they'll think, Hey, we should stick around or we should invest in, more of these, these incubators and co-working spaces and all of those things that are part of the early startup ecosystem. Because if you see a lot of these conferences, they're like, oh, this is in London. Think of the prestige of the city, you know, Singapore, Seoul. These are astronomically expensive on the global scale. So right. for people who are getting, you know, either they're kind of getting started 
or they're just trying to spend wisely that which their investors have trusted them with. That's something I think we're going to see more of is these, uh, these other cities. You know, I've been spending a lot of time in Manila, which doesn't get a whole lot of international publicity from the blockchain perspective, but there's some really great startups here, some serious uh, companies, not just projects, you know, but full on, like they're doing business. And, you know, one of them was just acquired. Coins.ph was acquired by Gojek and for a pretty substantial valuation. So, and this is some, you know, this is an exchange, but with, I think 80% of Filipinos are unbanked. So, uh, but it's also a massive consumer economy in Asia. So it's all in cash and not even like they don't even have bank accounts. You know, it's hard for them to receive PayPal payments a lot of the time. So there's this huge need for it. And they started just quickly at coins.ph had all these different partnerships with these different banks. You can go and load it up at seven 11, seven 11's everywhere here. It's so weird. Um, and uh, they're, they're able to do that. So they can pay their phone, like prepaid phones. That's how it works here. The Sims and all that right. basically, um, pay their bills for their internet, get things, get groceries delivered all from this coins.ph account. And it's, you know, it's just an exchange, but they set up all these brand partnerships, which led to their acquisition. So I think it's cool. I mean, I think that what you're doing is, as you said, it's necessary. You have to do it, even though it's not as, um, not as glamorous, for instance, as being in Hong Kong, but you have this effect that is actually really maybe just as culturally inspiring for people. And it's actually financially sensible. Right. And, and that was the biggest part of all of this. When you look at the biggest conferences that go on right now, <clears throat> a lot of them happen in New York, California, Miami, and in Vegas. And you go there and you, you like, you, you go there with the expectation that you're going to spend a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and yes, it's good and bad in the sense of, yes, you go in there, you get a lot of value. You meet a lot of people, you connect, you get some good networking, but the challenge of it is there's a lot of talent here in New, in New Orleans, in Louisiana, in, in the South region that people have never heard of. And so now this is giving them a platform, one, to be discovered, but then two, to showcase like, hey, there's talent down here too. And for, for all the people that can't afford to like go to all these different places, here's a drivable distance, here's a place where, where tickets aren't outrageous, but also going to be bringing you quality value that you can still absorb and understand because for your average person that doesn't know much about it. And then they go to these big conferences and everything that the people on stage are talking about are way over their heads. Did they really go there and get value? Mm. So what I'm really trying to bring is, Hey, if you're going to come get value, even if you know nothing about it, you're going to get a ton of value at this conference. Even if you know a lot about cryptocurrency and blockchain, you're still going to get a lot of value at this conference. So it's, yeah. it's, it's meant for everyone. Whereas where I feel like a lot of these bigger conferences and everything that's going on, it's, it's for the people that are already in the game that are trying to get deeper. Yeah. And if we don't get to widespread adoptability and we don't literally get to where we want cryptocurrency and blockchain to be unless we get everyone on board, but you can't get everyone on board unless you're willing to put in the time and the work to teach and educate. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And what I can see is that there's, there's uh, definitely room for both and you can't neglect or um, underserve the people who do not understand it. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about in terms of brand partnerships, because so much of the emphasis on partnership development for blockchain companies is it's endemic. It's within the blockchain space. And I'm thinking, you know, look, P 
people, you have to partner with brands that are not necessarily blockchain oriented, but they would like to benefit from it or get access to that market early on because that's the only way most people are going to find out. There's a very small segment of the global population that is philosophically, technologically, and financially inclined to peer into this little sliver of what's happening currently. And that's with cat videos and Kardashians and everything else that people would prefer to pay attention to by and large. So you have to do something that's interesting. And I think what you've done here, I would like to talk to you about your sponsorships and your speakers. How did you kind of approach that to make sure you had that balance where it was kind of real world and and accessible? So the first approach I took with with speakers was the, the cool thing about having my podcast and blog was that I've been able to interview a lot of really cool people. Um, obviously they're specialists and they're very different um, paths of life within the space Um, they have a very deep and vast knowledge but they can still explain it at a very basic level so they have that balance and so what then would happen was after I would secure one speaker then they would introduce me to another person I'm like hey I'm actually so when I planned out like the conference I had an idea of you know, I wanted a couple keynotes, I want a couple panels, and here are the, the topics I would like to touch on. So after I would get like one speaker in each of those different subsets, then they would kind of introduce me to another person, and they would introduce me to another person, and then the next thing you know, I have, you know, um, 14 speakers um, that are going to be coming um, and, and speaking at this conference, which is pretty awesome. Um, I would say th- uh, two of them like reached out but the, uh, the first thing I want to uh, approach to anyone that's like thinking about throwing a conference or doing any of this is as you are putting this on, I call it the eye test. So like the first thing that when, when you're sending people to learn more about your conference, they're usually going to go to a website. So whatever website you have, um, there's a couple things people want to see. Uh, do you have any kind of, do you have branding? Do you have some sort of branding? Uh, what's your message? What are you trying to like, uh, what are you going to be people expect to learn there? And then three, who are your speakers and do you have sponsors? Um, so the more speakers that you have with the kind of profile that they can see, like, okay, who are these people? And if you just have a couple of sponsors that just show like, oh, this is sort of legit, more things start to happen. It's, it's, it's literally a snowball effect that starts happening, but you have to build all the momentum simultaneously together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a huge challenge because it, no one wants to be first, but no one wants to miss out towards the right. end. So um, a lot of the sponsors that I was able to get on board you know, I was selling them on the vision of, hey, this is about education. This isn't about us selling products. This isn't about um, us out here trying to make a lot of money or, 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 or promise the stars and the moon to people. This is giving them information that they, they can go then make their own educated decisions on whether or not they want to move forward with learning more about it or give them the space to ask questions that they usually wouldn't be able to ask because they don't have experts who can answer them. Right. Right. And so that was the appealing piece to a lot of the early sponsors uh, that were a part of this. They wanted to just help move the vision along um, because a lot of them, um, when I would speak to them and explain, this is what cryptocurrency is. This is what blockchain is. Here's why you need to be paying attention. They're like, oh my gosh, this does make sense. I wish somebody would have broken down to me a year ago. So I'd be paying attention more, but I see what you're doing. I want to help you get in front of more people. And like, that's how that dynamic kind of helped. So that was the narrative that I was giving. Okay. That's interesting how you mentioned the snowball effect and kind of um, just the fact that nobody wants to be 
the first necessarily. I don't want to take the risk, but I also don't want to miss out. And it reminds me a lot of how when I used to, I, I was um, like organizing and promoting different kinds of events. So, you know, it was like hip hop or raves or whatever for years I did this. And when I got into trying to promote clubs, I think one of the hardest things about clubs and bars and those kinds of situations is if you don't get enough people early in the night, something happens where you might have hundreds of people come through, but they come through in small groups and they see there's nobody there. So they leave. And that happens right. over and over and over. Nobody wants to be in an empty bar, even though if they would have all showed up at once, it would have been perfect. So there's a, a way of, you know, needing to have that immediate, can they look in, can they hear people? Or is there people outside smoking? Sadly, that's kind of a sign, you know? So what I would find interesting is if you could tell us about how you kind of kicked it off. Like, was it just, one major push for promotion or do you start just inviting speakers and like it gradually built and then suddenly had a website um what was that process early on so the process so luckily um i'm a web developer so i know how to build websites so i everything on the website that you see i've done all of it all the branding um i have a like i do some consulting on 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 the side that i do and like that's a lot of what i do with like helping with branding and marketing and come up with like all of these different things. So I was able to catapult a lot of that stuff and have it something online. So like what I really like to do is when I speak with any person that I have is have some sort of material that I can leave with them, whether it's digital or like um, copy paper of like, you know, whether it's a sponsorship deck, uh, um, a press release, whatever it is, because the first thing someone's going to do when you're trying to like do something like this is delegitimize it or say like, Oh, they're not legit or they're not trying to, they're, they're not doing this professionally. So they can just disregard you immediately. But as soon as you can just eliminate that and they start listening to what you're doing, um, you're more prone to getting them to say yes. So the first thing I did before like going out and doing any of this was I built the website. I had like the skeleton and everything ready to go and I know what I needed to put in. So, um, after I got about five speakers, um, I started hitting up a lot of sponsors um, and also trying to get like some, some digital sponsors. So like once I, I sent out my a press release to a ton of different entities and then some hit me back and then I'd get a couple. And then after I'd get a couple, I'd send it, resend it to other people and be like, hey, um, so I was able to get XYZ. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but I got these uh, sponsors. Um, would you still like to have a conversation? And so then by following up, because now that you're showing, you know, persistence and you create results as you go more and more people want to be a part of it so uh build the the part of the the eye test and everything with it is a whole lot of persistence and as you add one more step forward following up with all the people that didn't respond or kind of gave you a bad response that you've made progress and that you made progress and then eventually they're like wow they're gonna do this let's see how i can get involved or if i can't get involved who can i introduce them to yeah, absolutely. And that's something that takes, uh, as you mentioned before, you kind of have to have the one with the guts to do it when there's not a huge amount of it happening, especially in your area. So to be one of the first and, and not have this massive, like I keep speaking in terms of Asian things from over here, but like just take San Francisco and New York City, for instance, they've been doing it for so long that it's a different kind of challenge there. It's, are they going to take you seriously because you're new? versus where you're at people taking you seriously because the whole concept might be new to them. So yeah. when you, you've been running this meetup, this uh, cryptocurrent meetup on meetup.com, 
what uh, what was that like for the first one? Were you kind of worried anybody would show up, or were you already pretty well a part of some social groups there? Uh, how did that go? Yeah, so I mean, it was it's pretty like nerve wracking. Like the first one ended up being a pretty good success because I had a couple people that kind of rallied and helped bring in people and explain like, hey, this is what's going on. Here's what you can expect to do, mm-hmm. and it also is very telling of you know what was going on in the market. So at the time, um, this was you know probably the summer of, of last year. So the market was going down, but wasn't where it is today. And so there's definitely a lot of interest in people trying to see like, okay, what's going on here. But like, sure enough, as the market started going down, started going down, going down, you start seeing less and less people. Yeah. But what has happened now, the people that are coming into it now um, and are interested, they're looking at it from a baseline. It's like, so now that the market is kind of stabilizing now, it's, basically finding its footing and if they've never been in the game and they're just coming and seeing it now this is all they know so it's not as big of a hurdle to come over once they start like looking at opportunities in it but then the other side of it too is like when i explain the use cases of blockchain and how you know walmart's pouring billions of dollars and ibm and and amazon and like all these entities they're like wow i see why that makes sense and then also see like the the use cases of international transactions with with cryptocurrency like okay, now I get it. And now they go and tell their friend or like they have a conversation and they can speak on it. They're like, oh, by the way, there's this meetup. If you want to learn some, it's, it's a referral thing. But yeah. it's, you know, there's a lot of days where there's like maybe one person. Some days when there's like three, um, now you're starting to get, you know, a couple more people. And it's like, you have to be okay with putting the same energy of talking to one person as 50. And I know with time it'll pay off. It's just a matter of the persistence and sticking around. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's a grind. And, and whether I'm talking to 50 people, or I'm speaking to one that shows up, that's one more person. And that's, I don't see that as a waste of time. I, I agree. And it is a bit, um, sometimes I'll talk to people who just caught a very surface level understanding of all this. And they thought that, hey, if, if the price of Bitcoin is being, ridiculed in the news on CNBC, then that must mean that what I'm doing with my business and my time is also like, well, isn't that a scam? Like they're afraid I got taken in some like multi-level marketing thing. All right. Well, I could try to educate you. I I tend to not have the same um, eloquence or patience with explaining things uh, that, that maybe you do. So that's a good way to approach it and a good mindset. And what you said earlier about delegitimizing, People go and they look at something and they kind of just, we're so used to being lied to and scammed and ripped off, at least in American culture and in certain other cultures in the world, that it's the first instinct sometimes is to be cynical. And if you can get past that cynicism, then whether it's for your conference or it's for the use of cryptocurrency or blockchain, blockchain tech in general, that uh, getting past the cynicism and, and associating it with actually a positive outcome or a future that they can see themselves being part of, then you're getting somewhere. Right. And it's a process though. You have to, and, and it's so huge to be able to break down those, you know, those cynicisms. Like it's the more that you can just show someone that you're genuine and that you're legit and that you have good intentions of doing something positive, people are willing to work with you more, but their instant first thought of you, if they've never seen you before, never heard of you is like, what do you want from me? What are you trying to do? Like, what are you trying to take from me? Mm. And it's, and it's more of as soon as you can change that narrative to here's how I'm going to help. 
And here's how I'm going to do these things and add so much value to you that it's going to make sense for you to just want to have a conversation with me. That's when you've won. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I saw this video recently of Mark Zuckerberg being interviewed alongside some other guy uh, at the very beginning when it was the Facebook and he hadn't, he didn't really get to answer the, the newscasters question about monetization, but the other guy did and their little thing was similar to Facebook and he was kind of smug about how they were getting ads and sponsored things and nobody's ever heard of that thing since then. Right. But then you had Mark Zuckerberg awkward as ever, uh, sitting on the other side, just trying to explain why it was something he thought people were enjoying. And they showed some video of what it looked like back then. And man, I remember getting invited in 2008 and like, ah, this is stupid. Yeah. This isn't even like MySpace and MySpace was stupid. <laughs> you know? And then here I am uh, years later, still getting sucked back in because of different groups or you know, business purposes or relatives that just, they think I'm dead out here in Asia. So I <laughs> say hi. <laughs> Uh, and what he's done is fascinating. And, and so now to see them go and acquire a blockchain startup and to actually be seriously looking into that for payments within their platform uh, and, and <laughs> privacy. I mean, is that easier for you to explain when, when companies like Facebook start getting involved or does that make it harder? It makes it, it's a huge, that's huge. So like the other day I'll, I'll explain this to someone else like, Hey, I, I called this probably last summer that Facebook was going to make a major play in um, the cryptocurrency and blockchain space because there's a ton of major interests in the space on Facebook who had these huge groups that would just disband them. They would just disappear um, mm -hmm. without any explanation. Um, and of course, Facebook was doing this whole thing where you can promote any uh, cryptocurrency, blockchain, anything with those words for basically blacklisted. And even if they were legitimate, even if you went through the process of like going to your website, putting in whatever you needed to, to like go through everything, get verified, they still wouldn't let you move forward. And I was like, oh, okay. Facebook's going to make a play in this at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and sure enough, here they are, just like you said, um, pouring, about to pour billions of dollars into uh, blockchain technology, making their own money on the platform that oh, by the way, they easily can do, they have enough people. And then talking about encryption, trying to change the like full dynamic of it. Like this was all strategic. Mm. This, like it's, it's all strategic. And that's a whole nother like discussion for another day. But like when you see big players starting to do this, like I'm telling people like all the time, like right now, if you're looking at, you know, looking at the crypto space right now is a prime time to be in or to be looking to get in because once the whole regulation stuff happens and as you're seeing more and more of these big players spending money in the space, you got JP Morgan Chase that just made their own quote unquote coin. Yes, it's not a cryptocurrency of sorts. It's kind of a stable coin, but still they're starting to institutionalize some of this stuff. Pay attention, pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is basically you, you thought back last year when they were really keeping everything hush and shutting things down, that that was in a way preparing the battlefield so they can control the conversation when they step in publicly. 100,000%. Because if you take away all the negative talk, if you take away all the quote unquote scams, if you take away all the whatever, and people forget about it because you haven't had anything in your feed over the last year about anything cryptocurrency, anything blockchain, when all of a sudden Facebook can like 
conveniently says Facebook is now moving the blockchain and crypto and blah, 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 blah. And, 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 it, and they make it cool for the world. Now they're the first mover. Now they're the glory people. Like it's, it's all strategic. Mm, gotcha. They, that's an interesting angle. Because I've talked to people about this before with, with regards to Facebook or particularly Microsoft. You know, people would think of them as technology companies, which is true. It is true to an extent. Same with Google. Of course it's true. But there's also an element where what sets Google or Facebook or Microsoft apart from all the other tech companies trying to build the same shit. Well, it's because they're very good at M&A and they're very good at long-term strategies. So they just go and buy up everything that works and they make people believe that they built it, which is key because there are other companies that buy things up and they don't even try to act like they built it, but they don't get that aura of invincibility that those companies do. It's amazing. Absolutely. So we talked about non-endemic sponsors before and these kinds of relationships outside the ecosystem. One of the reasons that I've been thinking about this is I'm going down this path of setting up relationships between brands and and crypto or blockchain companies so that they can access customers they normally wouldn't, yada, yada. But I got onto that path because I was reading this thread on Facebook, actually. (laughs) And uh, what they said was essentially that they they were going into the depths of their romance with their credit card companies. You know, these are business owners spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, a month or a quarter on you know, ads or any kind of business expenses. And they're racking up the miles, the rewards, points, the sky lounge, the free luxury accommodations all around the world. They love their credit cards because right. unlike a lot of people who are kind of maybe they've got credit card debt or they have issues with their Bank of America always giving them fees. Once you get to a certain point, though. Like you love your bank. They hook you up. You love your credit card company. So getting them, it's not going to be this kind of hyper cerebral debate about transaction speed and, you know, uh, immutability and all this. They don't give a rat's ass. They want to sit more comfortably on an airplane. So yes. you know, I'm thinking non-endemic sponsorships to get those people to want to do it. You've got to make it sweet. It's got to be more than just technically better. It's got to be sweeter. So with that, I ask you, you know, as a sportsman, like, what do you think of UFC and Litecoin as a brand partnership? That was an interesting news, huh? It was like, how they're trying to spin and make that make sense. It's basically going back to the legitimization of what I was talking about earlier. Mm. If you put a major brand behind something that you're trying to make more major, it gives you more authority to be like, oh, this is a real thing. I should now spend more of my money and put it in this place. Um, and if you look at like what Litecoin is doing as a platform and it's white papers and, and, and like just the direction it's headed, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how it still makes sense other than it just being a brand ploy of saying like, okay, what Litecoin probably did was like, Hey, in the future, we're probably going to be worth X amount of money. If you co-brand with us right now, we'll guarantee, we'll, we'll give you this amount of Litecoin that. Obviously, if you're in this for the long run, we're projecting it's going to get to this point. So you're going to get this ROI over this amount of time, but your name is going to help us get there faster. Yeah. Like, or they probably did fire us over. They're like, hey, we're going to give you all these coins right now. And then as soon as we announce your name, we'll have this like, let's call it 10 day lockup. And if you want to sell out real quick and just get some money, you can do that too. Like, 
pump and dump. Like that's, that's very possible that that's how that worked out. But at the end of the day, going back to the sweeter thing of like explaining how, you know, you got to really, really sweeten it. Money talks. And with cryptocurrency being so volatile, so heavily volatile and the, the, the companies that have stuck around uh, that have made it past 2018 and are still sticking around, putting, pouring in more money, pouring in resources, development work there. Some of these companies are going to be massive. The, 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 the way I like to like equate it is when you look at the internet boom, you had all this money, all this, all these companies that came out of nowhere and most of them died. Most of them went to nothing, didn't become of anything, but the ones that made it. So at first, you know, AOL was the big one. AOL like kind of steered the way and like was the standard and um, a lot of money was poured into it, but it didn't survive. It didn't make it. That might be Bitcoin. Don't right. know. But the Googles, the, the, the Amazons, um, all these other big companies that stuck around, they're, they're massive. And um, there's, there's a ton of people that I'm sure had an opportunity at some point to invest in them. And people were saying like, hey, you should probably invest in this. And they didn't and they're kicking themselves. And like, that's what a lot of these opportunities in cryptocurrency are, in my opinion. Yeah. And this is one of the most important things about whether it's online networking or you're going to conferences, meetups, to get well connected because it's going to matter. You mentioned people kicking themselves. And talk about Amazon, man, the massive growth in Amazon. And then remembering that Jeff Bezos himself is heavily invested in many of those other early uh, startup days when now they're the biggest companies in the world. I believe right. Apple, I think he invested in Google. Don't quote me on this because I don't have that uh, helpful infographic in front of me. But the man is in deep with many, many companies. And it's brilliant. You know, you don't get to be one of the richest men in the world by being a recluse unless you're Warren Buffett and you're just <laughs> jokes aside. I mean, that guy is also brilliant. So you take that aspect though, how connected it is and how global it is. The ability now versus when the internet was becoming popular for the consumer market and not just the types of people who use cryptocurrency right now, but it really just kind of main street average people started using the internet you couldn't really communicate the way you can now. You know, if you could go to a conference on the other side of the world, but you didn't have Skyscanner and Airbnb, or you didn't have instant 24 seven concierge, unless you had a really great credit card, for instance. So this is a different world we live in and it's happening much faster. Would you agree? Definitely hundred percent. Yeah. I think it's crazy. <laughs> and the, the access to information is what separates it. Yeah. Like, you know, the internet age, people were building the stuff to then give people access to information. Yeah. So, of course, everything was word of mouth and people reading the papers and what you hear on the radio. Now it's, if you have a question about anything in life, you can look it up in seconds. Mm. Like that is, that is powerful. And like people, I still think people don't understand like how powerful of an age we live in to where if there is any question in life that you have, it's literally at your fingertips. You just literally have to spend some time to go find it. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's just how dramatically things have changed for humanity because of the information age. And when people look at how we talk about law catching up to technology, it's always trying to catch up to technology. In right. this case, I think we're looking at essentially the financial system catching up with the new reality. And now law is trailing behind the financial system, which that's not, that's not news either, but that's, I mean, that's basically what we're looking at with cryptocurrency in general. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you looking at the whole thing, like if 
you know, you ask people like, what is, you know, the U.S. dollar backed by? A lot of people still say gold. It, is it? Right. Or is it backed by the, the word of uh, the United States and what it says it is? And if you look at the world economy as a whole, most world economies and the big players are in debt, like are, have more debt than they actually have money. Yet yeah. the world still clocks around and everything goes. So <laughs> it, it, that's, that concept just, it still blows my mind. And the whole idea behind decentralization and just having it be to where every, like all things equal, everything makes sense. And like truly no one player can have such an impact to where it decimates an entire world economy. That makes sense. Yeah. From a risk management perspective, it makes a ton of sense too. And that's something that I think people, sometimes they think, well, it's not the, it's not the fastest payment network or it's not the most useful and commonly used currency. It's too volatile to be a store of value. All of those things independently would be true. That's just like an early, like a Blackberry. It didn't necessarily have the best call quality if you're looking for a phone. It certainly wasn't the best way to write an email. Um, and once you could research online, I mean, it was painfully slow and a, a total pain in the ass. But at the time, people didn't get it. Why wouldn't I just use my computer? Why wouldn't I just use my phone? Why would, until it got just more refined and commonplace, um, then suddenly people don't want to go without whatever iPhone or, or its competitors, these Huawei, my, my girlfriend has this Chinese uh, artificial intelligence spy that has become part of our family. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's amazing because uh, the things that it can do, it's incredible. And I, just 10 years ago, like when I went into college and I had like some kind of Blackberry thing or like a Windows phone, and that was normal, you know? Right. And just how quickly things have changed to the point where it's ubiquitous and we're wearing them on our faces now with these headset things from Samsung. So when you look at that and you explain that to somebody, um, does that start to click for them? Do you put it often in terms of look at what happened with the internet and the global economy in 2008? And if you can basically yeah, yeah. combine those concepts, it clicks for them? Yeah, the, the three things I usually touch on that where things start clicking is first explaining, first of all, most people don't know what makes a cryptocurrency slash what is Bitcoin? Like what are the five factors like that make? Bitcoin? So I break all five of those down. And then after I explain that, I then go into blockchain, explain, okay, what is blockchain? Why is that important? Um, here's the use cases for it. And then after I explain that, I explain, um, you know, of course, 2008, why was Bitcoin made in the first place? What is like, where are we at now is 10 years later, what happened? like leading up to what people call the 2008, you know, boom and bust, if you will, like, how do we get there? Like where are we at now explaining all of that um, and then explaining where it's at now, where it's headed. And then by the end of that conversation, like it's, it's crazy. Like once you see it click in people's head, they're like, Oh my gosh, like this can be huge. And it's like, exactly. So this is why you need to be paying attention. This is why you need to be looking stuff up. But the, the thing is that they always say the same thing is that, no one has taken the time to explain this to me because people, if they don't understand it, they're not going to go research it. Most people it's like, Oh, I don't really understand how this works. Let me go find out. Like the interesting concept I had, I was, I was at the, I was at a beach um, not so long ago with my girlfriend and I literally had the random thought and said it out loud. Like what is wind? <laughs> right. And right. so like, like how would you explain that? 
I mean, like, how would you explain that to a, a, a child? Not just the feeling of it, but like, how do you actually break that down? And so right. I looked it up, but then I was like, you know, how many times in life is there something that we don't necessarily understand, but then like, you'll just reason it be like, oh, it's, it's this. And then just leave it there and like, just mark it off and be done with it. And like, mm. we do that with a ton of things that we don't understand, but yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to learn. That's a, such a critical point. And unfortunately, a lot of our society, at least in the States, um, it's, a, it's a constant competition for attention, right? Yeah. So whether it's people that are doing it to each other or it's on the internet, you know, there's so much information that in order to make it through reality, you have to tune out almost everything except that which you're trying to use to benefit your life or avoid immediate danger. So people don't think about long-term risks much. They don't think about long-term gain as deeply as they should. They don't explore concepts that just don't immediately pertain to their situation. So it's partly, it's our responsibility to help direct their attention to this thing. Like, Hey, look, I know there's a lot of things going on right now, but this thing right here is going to really matter. And this is going to change everything. And if you don't understand it, Imagine how much you don't understand finance and technology now, but if you can just at least understand this little piece of what's happening, then you're going to be ahead of so many other people and then you're going to be able to help them. You know, it's not always about just like getting one over on the other guy and you're going to be the richest person in America. I mean, that's great and everything. Sure. But there's also like, look how many people you can help if you can understand what's happening. If there was a pandemic, for instance, and you are the person that knew like, Hey, it's actually, it's only contagious by contact. Then, you know, you don't waste all your time freaking out about who's breathing and all this, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing is happening so fast. And if you have, as you mentioned, JP Morgan Chase, they're using their own private um, network for these other banks. I mean, you have what, what's happening with ripple and many, many institutional players getting involved now. Soon people are just going to wake up and it's going to be normal and they're not going to understand what hit them. Right. Yeah. And certain people, even looking at certain like stocks that people buy in the stock market, like, yes, you might fundamentally understand what some of the companies are or do, but it doesn't mean you understand to the core what it is or what is trying to be done. I think when people think about when it'll be wide, widely adopted and people will use it is when it's so simple it's, it's intuitive. So like when you think about the iPhone, why did it just change the world? People didn't have to think. They could just pick it up and figure it out very easily without a lot of mental stress. That is the opposite of cryptocurrency and blockchain right now. There is a ton of just deep thought and conversation and processing you have to do to un first to understand it. Then yeah. to, to use it is a whole nother hurdle. And like that's, it's so big of a hurdle for most people right now. They're just like, I'll wait till it's easier. Mm -hmm. So as a lot of these, you know, companies start figuring out ways to make it a lot easier and more seamless. And like, that's going to happen over the next couple of years. But like the people who are paying attention right now, you're just, ah, you're just going to capitalize so much more. Yeah, I agree. Although for those that are listening, my word of warning that's been on my mind a lot lately is to quit being so arrogant. You know, if you're working in this space right now, and you've got some startup and, and you're just criticizing other people's way of solving the same problem, or you're kind of slighting people at conferences or 
you're unwilling to admit that maybe your way of doing things and approaching the problem isn't the best. And I see this a lot on LinkedIn or Telegram. Just stop it because before you know it, your company is going to be out of money and people are going to be using Facebook um, Messenger and WhatsApp and Instagram to send money. And it's going to be some guy in London sending money back to his family in Pakistan. Meanwhile, he's buying things from Hong Kong all through Facebook's ecosystem yep. using technology that uh, you could have helped build. So keep humble, you know. Stay humble and just get it done. Like it takes, it takes a community, it takes a village to be able to build this technology Absolutely. where we want to go. And, and uh, for the village of New Orleans, um, <laughs> you're, you're leading the way there. So I know we're running out of time here for what's scheduled. And I wanted to give you an opportunity, uh, two things that I really want to touch on. First, if there's anybody in the space that you really trust and, uh, and you would recommend that other people should go check out, Without any hesitation, who would that be? Um, so James Oliver, uh, had, I interviewed him. He's big into, so he's a crypto lawyer. He's a local crypto lawyer uh, and also does like mining and does a bunch of other stuff. He knows his stuff. Um, he's going to be a speaker at the conference. Um, I would look him up slash like pay attention to like what he's talking about. He, he is super, super knowledgeable in this space. Awesome. Okay. Uh, James Oliver is crypto lawyer and mining expert. He's going to be speaking at the cryptocurrency conference that uh, our guest here, Richard, is uh, organizing. And the second thing I wanted to bring up, and, and I apologize, I think I interrupted you a moment ago, but this is the question that'll allow you to continue, which is piece of advice, piece of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience right now going into the rest of 2019 and, and really the future at large. Be confident in exploring the unknown and making, it, making change. Um, we're still at the beginning of this journey that is cryptocurrency and blockchain. We're part of we're we're part of this wave that's coming, and it's going to take persistent people that are willing to take some blows, are, are are willing to take the time investment to realize a huge return in the end. Just Stay persistent, fight the good fight, and just know that all this work that you're putting into is gonna pay off. And don't like, don't just give up on it. Just it's gonna take time. And I've, I've just seen a lot of people got in the space. Basically, 2018 happened. They quit and they said they're out. And I'm sure there's a lot more good that's on the way. Um, and I've just heard so many horror stories of people that said, "Man, I had Apple stock when it was nothing. Man, I had Google stock when it was nothing. Man, I had like all this stuff." And and they just they said I just wish I would held on for like a couple more years or whatever it was and their lives would be completely different. So like that's my approach to this. Just stay persistent. Absolutely, I really appreciate that. And you know I'm I'm sure that people are going to hear this and they're going to want to go check out your podcast and see how the conference went. And maybe hopefully if they hear it before, then they're in the area they can go. So tell us about where they can get in touch with you and. Uh, you know, where they can find out more about the conference. Absolutely. So um, all my social media is uh, at Richard underscore Carthon, C-A-R-T-H-O-N. Um, you can go to uh, www.crypto-current.co for the podcast. And for the conference, it's crypto-currentconf, C-O-N-F dot C-O. 
to get more information on that as well. And for everyone that's listening, if you do want to come to the conference, would love to have you use my discount code. It's capital Richard, capital CCC. So that's Richard CCC. Excellent. All right, guys, if you're listening now and it is not yet March 15th, go check that out. It's crypto-currentconf.co. You can use that Richard CCC. It's capital. And um, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad that Ben introduced us. Um, everybody, this has been Richard Carthon. Cryptocurrent Conference is Friday, March 15th this year. And uh, we'll hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate you having me, Colin. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pendulum Insight Podcast. If you learned something today and you want to know more, go check out PendulumInsight.com.